Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, June 30th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's Wildcard Wednesday show, we're talking space with Washington Post space reporter and author of The Space Barons, Christian Davenport. While we ran an excerpt of this interview on last week's Motley Fool Money radio show, on today's Industry Focus, we have a full unedited interview where we get into a whole lot more. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, so real quick as a refresher here, let's can we just explain what explain Bezos and spaceflight and its significance, or or even lack thereof, in, in regard to this this space race? Right. I mean, in other words, is is this really something that matters in 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 the long run as far as the the investments and the race towards space go? Or is this kind of an evil Knievel kind of thing? Well, in in some ways, actually, it's both. I mean, it's an evil Knievel kind of thing in the sense that this is a suborbital spaceflight. This is a 10-minute ride, like, in total, where it shoots up and comes straight back down. Um, It's the first human spaceflight for Bezos's company, Blue Origin. A lot of people don't even still, to this day, realize that Jeff has a space company and that he has these ambitions in space um, and that they're finally, uh, you know, after 20-something years, flying people. And Jeff has raised his hand and said, I'm going to be on that first flight, uh, which I think that's designed to show his confidence in the vehicle and the rocket and his brother's going as well. Um, But it's significant in the sense that, you know, if he can fly people routinely on a regular basis, that sets the stage for bigger, more more ambitious missions. And that's really what Blue Origin is designed to do. These suborbital space tourism flights, that's practice for sort of the big game, which is routinely taking people to orbit and then to the moon and, and beyond. So it's think of it as a stepping stone. Were you surprised when you heard this news? I mean, were you surprised when you heard that Jeff wanted wanted to go <laughs> to go to space? Yeah, no, I think everybody was. Um, I mean, it's still every you know the space is there's a lot of hype and it's inspiring, and you see in pop culture and in the movies, you know, it's sort of played out as this you know it's romanticized. But in reality, it's dangerous. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's really dangerous. So to put yourself on that flight, you have to be thinking, eh. but it is interesting too. I mean, it kind of made sense once you realize that he'll no longer be CEO of Amazon at that point. He will have stepped down from Amazon because I don't think the Amazon board would have allowed it. Um, and, you know, I mean, it is risky, but they've flown the new Shepard vehicle, you know, this, this configuration 15 times to space uh, successfully. So they've, they've done it and done it and done it. There are abort scenarios, emergency scenarios. They played all of that out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 but yeah, I was surprised he was on that first flight. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I was surprised as well. I mean, it, it is, it, it's romanticized, of course, obviously a tremendous risk, but um, clearly, he's very excited about it. But what do you think this looks like years from now? I mean, I, I now now that this the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. I mean, I have a hard time believing this is the only time he does this. I mean, are we are we looking at the early days of Jeff Bezos astronaut? 
Yeah. And so, I mean, in early days of like us being astronauts, yeah, um, you know, they did auction off that seat uh, to see who was going to fly with Jeff and his brother, Mark. And it went to $28 million, which is crazy that you would think that that's what someone would pay for a 10 minute ride to space. Um, but I think, you know, if, again, there's a caveat to all this, that they're able to do it successfully and reliably and safely. And if that happens, you know, there've been a total of 560 people who have ever been to space. Wow. And imagine Blue Origin starts taking people on a regular basis and Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic and Elon Musk's SpaceX. Instead of it being 560, it's 5,600. And then, you know, within a matter of years, as you talked about, it's 56,000 people who have had this experience of going to space, seeing the earth from a distance, land masses without borders, the thin line of the atmosphere, that, you know, sort of transformative experience that astronauts, you know, come back and they talk about, you know, that could have a profound effect. But, you know, I think what Jeff's goal is, yeah, he'll go up and down, you know, on a suborbital space trip. I think what he really wants to do and is working toward is the next step, which is, you know, New Shepard, is named for Alan Shepard, the first American in space that just went on one of these suborbital trajectories. The next rocket they're building is called New Glenn for John Glenn, who went to orbit. So I could see Jeff ultimately, you know, doing that and going to orbit at some point. So uh, let's say, you know, 10 years from now, obviously we've made a lot of progress in the space. Is, is this something on a personal level, is this something you'd be interested in doing one day? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, and I've, I've talked to, to, you know, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson about it. I think that, you know, if you're, if, you know, the public is going to be doing this, uh, a journalist should go to experience it and to see what it's like and to be able to tell the story. And, and in fact, that's what NASA was going to do. I mean, people forget early days of the space shuttle, they thought the shuttle was going to be flying so frequently that NASA would need ordinary people to fill the seats. And so if you remember you know, they filled the seat with a teacher, Krista McAuliffe. Yeah. Uh, and in 1986, and obviously she was aboard shuttle challenger when it exploded. But at that time they were all, NASA was already looking at the next round had, which was going to be a journalist and they had thousands apply. They had a list of 40 finalists by the time that challenger uh, launched and they were already working through picking out who the journalist was going to be. Obviously they canceled that program uh, when Challenger blew up, but yes, no, I mean, journalists have been talking about going to space for a long time and I want to be there. <laughs> well, as someone who writes for the Washington Post, which is of course owned by Jeff Bezos, how do you and your colleagues feel about this? I mean, is, is there some trepidation about, about the fact that he's going into space? Well, yeah, I mean, you sort of wonder what what the succession plan is going to be. But I, you know, I, you know, we cover Jeff the way anybody, you know, any, any the way we cover anybody else without sort of right. fear and favor, and we say that, um, and and you know, that's true that he doesn't have a hand in the editorial decisions, and he's going to go, and that's just you know his choice, and he can be able to to do that. And I'm sure there's a succession plan in case anything would happen. But I, you know, I do think. He, that the fact that he's going sort of tells me there is a high level of confidence in the safety of this system and that they've really, really put it through its paces and, and tested it. And frankly, I would go. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned you said the word confidence. And I think that's a really important word uh, in, in regard to this. And it, it kind of leads me to my next question, here because it, we, we, of course, want to take this from an investing angle. And, you know, I, I start looking at What's going on here? The investments in, have been made in Blue Origin and and Jeff going into space. Uh, 
you start thinking 10, 20, even 30 years out as an investor, I mean, what, what kinds of opportunities do you think could come for investors from all of this space work? I mean, is this, I mean, he's stepping down as the CEO of Amazon. I mean, I guess he's really technically stepped down. Um, I mean, what is, is this his second act? I mean, could we be witnessing some sort of the early days of another Amazon-esque sort of investing opportunity from all of this? Yeah, I mean, so the way the way Jeff talks about it is that you know when he started Amazon, anybody could start an internet company like in their dorm room, right? There was Zuckerberg <laughs> did, yeah. did Facebook, right? Because you know the the telephone company had been there and laid down the lines that ultimately you know carried the broadband for the internet. Um, there was this thing called the postal service that you know could deliver the books that he was <laughs> selling. There was this invention called the credit card, and he could take people's money to sell those books. The infrastructure for Amazon was there. The infrastructure for space is not there. So if you you can't today start a space company in your garage and what he wants to do and what Elon wants to do is create that infrastructure, you know, to space. The the barriers to entry are just too high. So what we're seeing now is the dawn uh, of a new age so that what Jeff calls this new, um, you know, economic dynamism can uh, come to life, but in space where you're doing things like manufacturing in space, mining uh, asteroids, uh, celestial bodies, things like that, exploring, that this can open up all new sorts of possibilities like the internet did. And that's what they're hoping to build. But now you, you, you can't get there, it's too hard. And that's where I was saying earlier, you know, the space tourism thing is often derided as this thing for the rich. The way Jeff sees it is no, uh, this is the, the, the practice we're going to get to go to space so we can make it more affordable and efficient and then open up all of those economic opportunities in space. Well, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think I, I asked you last time we spoke if, if you felt like going to the moon in my lifetime was, was a reality. And, and I believe you said yes. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I'd go too. I, I really would. I mean, this, this is something that just fascinates me. And I, I really do feel like... Uh, there, there is just, there's so much, so much potential here for this. Um, a lot of time, I mean, when it comes to these types of, when it comes to these types of investments, these types of long-term uh, trends here, I mean, clearly capital is, is a big deal. I mean, these, these companies, these investors need a lot of money. I mean, obviously, Mr. Bezos is not hurting in that regard, but by the same token, I mean, we, with Blue Origin, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, with one being no way on, on earth and then 10 being I can't wait, what do you think his feelings on taking Blue Origin public are? Do you think we'll ever see that? That's a great question. Um, you know, they, so they say space is hard, right? And the right. easiest way to become a millionaire in space is to start out as a billionaire. Uh, so, so you, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out because he's got huge ambitions, um, you know, in space and this stuff. I mean, there's a reason why only governments, you know, operated in space and human exploration. I mean, governments had a monopoly on this, you know, for 50, 60 years. And we're seeing the erosion of that. But it's still the government is still the biggest contractor. Right. They're still the biggest customer and they're all contractors, you know, vying for these government contracts worth billions of dollars. Um, so if if. If space is, if it becomes a self-sustaining economy, um, you're going to need more access uh, to capital to sort of get over that tipping point. So I, I could see it. And another reason I say that is, you know, I go down to Cape Canaveral, you know, a few times a year for launches, see people. And every time I drive by, uh, Blue Origin has a manufacturing site right near the Kennedy Space Center. 
and it's like a college campus. It is massive. And I know he's investing a billion dollars a year of his own money into this. And Jeff says that Blue Origin, you know, that is the most important work he's doing. So I, I do think he's sort of all in on this. But if he's going to open up a whole new industry to open up space, you know, for commerce, um, I don't know that that's something that you know, like Elon and Jeff and Richard Branson can do on their own. That yeah. seems like that's a societal thing moving along with, you know, governments and even, you know, international partners. So I, I could see it. I, you know, I don't think it's on the short term horizon, but maybe at, at some point, if they have a big ambition, you know, you want to build a colony on the moon, that's not cheap. That's that's so cool. You go down to Cape Canaveral um, for those launches. I mean, what is that like from a, a personal level? I have never seen a launch before. I mean, it it, it strikes me as being something that would be utterly life changing. But I, I mean, what what how, what how does that impact you as a, just just a human being? Yeah, no, a, a rocket launch. I would highly recommend it. You know, and it's sort of thing <laughs> like you know, take the family, take the kids, and go see it. You know, I, I go down there. You see a lot of the the Atlas Five launches for the United Launch Alliance, SpaceX. It's Falcon 9. And you know, you got to be a couple miles away yeah, from it. Yeah. You're not allowed to close in case something bad happens. There's a clear out zone. And so you're, you know, two, three miles away, and that rocket takes off. You feel it in your chest. I mean, it wow. the sound, you know, it, because sound travels a little bit slower, and it takes a minute for that sound to hit you. And it literally, I'd say hit you, it hits you. And there's a wave that comes over you. And the cool thing now is for years, I've been watching these rocket launches and, it, and it's satellites going up, yeah. not humans. And now we're back to human spaceflight. You know, SpaceX launched the first NASA astronauts in almost a decade uh, because the space shuttle retired in 2011. So there were no astronauts launching from U.S. soil until that happened last year. They've now, SpaceX has done it three times. And when you look at that rocket and that ball of fire and you realize like, wait a minute, there are people on that thing. I mean, that gives it, you know, that extra sort of emotional level. Uh, you know, we see this we see this push and pull between um, private interests, uh, you know, like Blue Origin, and then the public interests. I mean, governments trying to uh, invest in 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 make progress in this in this area. But I mean, it, it feels like there needs to be some cooperation. But by the same token, it also feels like you know, one, one side maybe wants it a little bit more than the other. I mean, how do you feel about, I mean, the future of space travel to me, it seems like it's going to, it's going to require all hands on deck, but I, I don't know. I mean, is this something you feel like is going to continue to be a, a cooperative or, or is it leaning in uh, one direction more, more so than the other? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, early on, these sort of public-private partnerships where NASA was reaching out to the private sector and hiring them for services was really controversial. Yeah. Even within, inside NASA, you know, people at the, at the government space agency were like, why are we outsourcing space? Why are we like, <laughs> you know, giving space, you know, these missions over to Elon Musk? This is what we do. We should do this. And then, you know, I think other people within NASA could see, you know, the commercialization of space and see the capabilities in the private sector and see how, frankly, you know, they can move faster. They can innovate. They're not a big government bureaucracy. They can just move a lot quicker and said, no, we need to harness that and leverage that and invest in that and build up that capability in the United States industry. And that will allow us as a space agency and as a country to do more and to go further and to have this sort of leadership in space. And the fascinating thing is that has 
uh, transcended uh, governments and parties within the U.S. So, so it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. We saw it with Obama. We saw it with Trump. And now we're seeing it again with Biden. And they all are, you know, it's become normal to have these public-private partnerships. It is now normal to have Elon Musk fly U.S. astronauts to the International Space Station. I mean, you know, their lives are in his hands. And that was enormously controversial when NASA first decided to do it. And now it's becoming more accepted and routine. And they're talking about taking that paradigm and extending it to get us to the moon and relying on private industry to help us get to the moon. So it's a it's a huge shift. Uh, So I'm glad you mentioned Elon Musk. I mean, clearly he is a he plays a big role in this as well. Um, the, The investments towards getting getting into space and and and, and beyond uh do you feel like is the rivalry between jeff bezos and elon musk is that real or is that more of a, a media narrative no i i think there is real for sure and, and oh, you really? saw, oh yeah no they they they've gone at it for a long time <laughs> it's, it's maybe overblown but there are key moments i mean just look at what happened when uh there was this big nasa contract uh, for to build the the lunar lander, the spacecraft that would land NASA's astronauts on the moon, and there was an initial round of contracts, and Blue Origin, uh, Jeff's company, came out on top. They won the the most funding, but in the final down select, like you know, SpaceX won and beat everybody, and that and it was a huge shock. And Blue Origin turned around. They've now uh, protested this through the, the, the GAO, the Government Accountability Office. They fired basically a lawsuit to try to overturn that contract award. They're working through Congress to try to have multiple awards. And, you know, Elon and Jeff have sort of gone at it. So there is a real uh, rivalry there that, you know, for sure. The bottom line is that at this point, you know, Elon is winning and winning big. Yeah, it does. It feels like that that rivalry needs to exist, though. I mean, I, I kind of goes back to that old saying: competition is a good thing. I mean, this is this is something that's ultimately going to make make this better. I mean, it's going to get us there faster and and hopefully more safely. Uh, speaking of getting places, do you feel like? I mean, it, it, it's it seems like the discussion with Elon Musk really all centers around Mars. Uh, do, do you think we'll see Elon Musk go to Mars in our lifetime? Well, so it all depends on this new next generation rocket he's building called Starship. And you may have seen the videos. This is a thing. It falls down. They've been trying to land it. They've blown it up like five times and they finally landed it. And uh, this is the spacecraft actually that NASA, they put up for that lunar lander bit that would land astronauts on the moon. And NASA looked at it, you know, very carefully and awarded SpaceX basically $3 billion to continue developing it. And this is the rocket and spaceship that Elon says will eventually take people to Mars. You know, I used to be very skeptical whether we would see people on Mars uh, in our lifetime. And I'm starting to think that maybe that is in fact a possibility. I don't, you know, Elon's talking about the next, you know, four or five years for this happening. I don't think that's a possibility, but I do think within, you know, 15, 20 years or now, maybe. It does feel like he kind of overpromises sometimes, <laughs> but I mean, that's 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 probably that's probably a good thing in this case. I mean, you, you want to keep that interest there, and certainly he's he's doing that. Um, we talk about Musk, we talk about Bezos. I mean, in your book, the Space Barons, uh, you know, there's it, it some great backstory there in regard to Richard Branson. I mean, clearly his passion for space is there, but I mean, is it me or does? And, and I don't mean I don't mean 
to offend, but I mean, does it feel like, why does Richard Branson feel like a third wheel in all of this? Well, his ambitions are not quite as big. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, so, so Elon's talking, you know, is already flying people to the space station. Uh, he's won a contract to go to the moon. Jeff, you know, ha- is also working on a big rocket that would go to orbit and go to in a, in a spacecraft that would land on the moon. Richard's focus on essentially what's a space plane. Right. And that would be tethered to the belly of this mothership. The, you know, it's like an airplane, uh, it goes to 50,000 feet. The space plane uh, drops. It has a you know rocket engine on it that fires and it goes straight up to space. Um, you know, pulls maybe Mach three or so, three times the speed of sound. And you know, you 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 do get to space, and you know, you can unbuckle and float around the cabin and and have that experience. But you're in space for like four minutes, five minutes. So that's it, and then you come straight back down. You don't go to orbit. Um, so I mean, I think that you know. Potentially, if they're able to do it reliably, it could be a sound business. Uh, they've been working on it for some time and frankly struggling to get there, but they're getting closer. They've been to space three times with people. But, you know, that's sort of where he's Richard's not talking about going to the moon yeah. uh, or going to Mars. He's talking about that suborbital space tourism and, you know, this idea that if you can go to space, Right. And you take off, they leave from Spaceport America and you go up and you come straight back down. What if instead of landing back where, you know, you took off, you landed, say, in Tokyo. Right. I mean, you're in space, you're out of the atmosphere, you know, put a little more juice in it. And then you get to Tokyo in an hour or let, you know, and this idea that you can go, you can do this sort of very high speed travel across the globe. Uh, But, you know, I think that's still years and years away from happening, but that he does talk about that. So I don't want to limit it to just the space tourism that he's looking at a sort of way to do a transportation network. Gotcha. Looking at it just from a little bit of a different lens. I mean, that does, that makes sense. Um, Just, just like we talk about in sports, uh, you, you talk about the up and comers, the prodigies. I mean, are there any up and comers that you know of, uh, today that you feel like will be able to help carry this torch in the future is, I mean, you know, at it, some point or another, I mean, time, you know, time waits for no one. I mean, is, are there any up and comers that you feel like are, are going to continue to, to keep this conversation going? Yeah, there, there are a number and they don't get as much attention because they don't have a Bezos or Musk or Branson <laughs> attached to them. But there is a company called Relativity Space that's uh, you know doing 3D manufacturing of, of its rockets, right? They're just, they're, they're 3D printing everything. And so they're a rocket company and a space company, but really what they are is a manufacturing company. And I think the upsides for what they're doing can be applied to a lot of different industries. And, you know, particularly when you look at manufacturing in space, um, they, you know, they have, uh, they got, a, I think it was $500,000 from Mark Cuban on a cold call. Um, in their last funding round, they, they raised a lot of money. Um, and I think they're sort of one that people are in the industry are looking at that really could do some significant things. Um, they're run by a relatively young guy who used to work at SpaceX and Blue Origin, but um, a lot of people think they're for real. As we move forward in this in this opportunity this space story um it, it, as this, as it continues to ve- to develop what, what's your biggest question is there something that you personally are, are focused on in in the next several years what are you watching going forward so one of the things i'm really interested in is you know when there's a commercialization of space how do we as a society how does congress 
react if there's a catastrophic event. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've had those and space is just so risky. You don't, you sort of hate to, to bring it up and, you know, rain on people's parade, but it's just a fact of life in space that is just so dangerous. So, you know, when there was a challenger disaster and Columbia, those had huge ramifications, you know, congressional inquiries, you know, NASA was shut down for flying for a year or more. Um, if that happens, you know, with some tourists, is there a similar reaction yeah. or is it more along the lines of like, you know, people climb Everest all the time and die on Mount Everest. Like you climb Mount, you're, like, you're crazy enough to do that. You're crazy enough to go to space. Um, <laughs> that's kind of on you and nobody shuts down Mount Everest. Right. And, yeah. and uh, you know, literally when you're climbing that mountain, you're like stepping over bodies in some cases that are entombed on the mountain. And if there are, I mean, it's a very sort of dark thing to talk about, but if there is a disaster, is the enterprise going to shut down? Is the industry going to close? Or will people persevere and carry on and say, no, this is hard, this is dangerous, the risk is worth it, and we're going to move on? That, I think, is a huge question. Um, hopefully, maybe, we'll never cross it. I, I tend to think, though, that there are there is going to be an accident at some point. Yeah, I mean, as it's, it's, it's bad as it is to think about it, it's, it's hard to imagine that doesn't happen at some point, unfortunately. But... Um, I mean, it's it's the nature of of this of this business, so to speak. I think it's just, it is it is incredibly risky, and and uh, yeah, I, I I'm with you. It seems like it's going to happen at some point. Um, what I was reading a recent article of yours in, in regard to uh, China in space and the relationship with the United States, and uh, it it feels like. At least based on what I was reading from you, it, it feels like there's there's no love loss there, right? I mean, there, there it doesn't seem like there's going to be any real cooperation in the near term, at least between between these two nations. Um, how, how do you think Jeff Bezos views China when it comes to space? Do you feel like he he views China as a threat, or do you, do you think he would prefer a more collaborative relationship? So it's interesting. NASA today, the U.S. government and NASA are pro effectively prohibited from partnering with China in space. I mean, that was a law that you know came down through Congress some years ago. So that's why, for example, on the International Space Station, you know, we work with Russia, right, who is a you know yeah. competitor, but China is not there. And China is actually going off on their own and building their own space station. And they've already landed a spacecraft on the far side of the moon, which has never happened before. And they just landed a rover on Mars. So they're now the only other country beside the, the U.S. to have done that. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, the space barons, you know, Richard, Jeff, they all want... Um, I think they want more going together. I mean, I don't, I've not talked to Jeff about, you know, his thoughts on China specifically, but I do think that there is this uh, idea, this notion that if humanity is to, you know, get off earth and to explore the cosmos and have what Jeff says, he says he wants millions of people living and working in space. It's that's hard for one company to do. It's hard for one country to do and one government. I mean, that's sort of, it takes, all of industry, you know, countries working together to do it. I mean, if you think about it, like we have had astronauts living in space on the International Space Station for more than 20 years. Yeah. There has been a continuous presence of people living in space for that, you know, two decades without any, you know, nobody's died. 
which is, I mean, it's amazing if you think about that. And that is a collaboration between many nations and governments coming together to pull something like that off. It is so difficult. And if we're going to go to the moon and go to Mars, I mean, it's almost like the more the merrier and we just sort of have to come together. So I think that's basically what they would think about that. That's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, or the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 